and uh, then James is going to speak for us. Um, so we're reading from Zechariah 6. I looked up again, and there before me were four chariots coming out from between two mountains, mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, and the fourth dappled, all of them powerful. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these, my lord? The angel answered me, these are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole world. The one with the black horses is going towards the north country, the one with the white horses towards the west, and the one with the dappled horses towards the south. When the powerful horses went out, they were straining to go throughout the earth. And he said, go throughout the earth. So they went throughout the earth. Then he called to me, look, these, these going towards the north country have given my spirit best in the land of the north. The word of the Lord came to me. Take silver and gold from the exiles Haldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon. Go the same day to the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and gold and make a crown, and set it on the head of the high priest Joshua, son of Josadak. Tell him this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from the place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And he will be a priest on this throne. And there will be harmony between the two. The crown will be given to Haldai, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hen, son of Zephaniah, as a memorial in the temple of the Lord. Those who are far away will come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This will happen if you didn't obey the Lord your God. Thank you very much, Ben, for reading. And uh, good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Um, can I just say I'm staggered that some people clearly, uh, Gloria Miranda, have never played Simon Says before and don't understand the very basic principles of the game. But it's great to see people this morning on Zoom. It's great to gather together to worship God and to hear from his word. We're going to spend some time now studying this chapter, Zechariah chapter 6. So let's ask God's help as we look at his word together now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in testing times, you are our rock and we can trust in you. We thank you that as we've looked at this book of Zechariah, we have seen that as Christians, we can endure because you are working in us and through us and you are using us in our weakness to accomplish your purposes. Please help us this morning to understand your word. Help us to grow in our love for you as we study it. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I probably don't need to ask you the question, but does looking at the news get you down? Every day when I flick on the news, it seems to do that to me. COVID-19 is out of control as infections rise. Doctors in our health service are on their knees. We hear about variants from Brazil and South Africa that worry the scientists. We see images of mass graves in Manaus and other places around the world. 
we turn to the realm of politics and political leaders are just filled with gossip and infighting. This morning, BBC News told me that all 50 US states have been put on alert for armed protests in this coming week. Of course, the news gets us down when we read it. And maybe it forces us to ask this question, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to look to for hope? Will there be an end to this? Can I keep going? One of the things we've seen as we've looked at these visions in the book of Zechariah is that God is with his people. God is with us. And he is encouraging us to endure, to keep going, because he is in control of all things. Zechariah had eight visions one night, visions to encourage the people of God to keep going with the building of the temple. We've looked at two already, and this morning we're going to look at the final vision that Zechariah had that comes to us in Zechariah chapter six. And as we look at it, we're going to see that we ought to keep going because God is the king. He's the king who defeats his enemies and he's the king who is building his temple. So firstly, let's look at verses one to eight of Zechariah chapter six. And in those verses, Zechariah's final vision shows us that God is the king who is defeating his enemies. Zechariah looked up and in front of him, he saw two bronze mountains. Now, again, it's difficult to know exactly what Zechariah saw, but it's likely that he was looking at some form of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was known uh, for its two mountains, the Mount of Olives and Mount Moriah. And when the first temple was built by Solomon, the entrance to the temple was two bronze pillars. So it's as if Zechariah is looking upon this area that represents God's home. And out of God's home, he sees four horses pulling four chariots, four chariots armed to the teeth, ready for battle, ready for war. The vision here is similar to the vision in Zechariah chapter one. It's also similar to the vision in Revelation six that John sees. And if you want to know more about uh, what these different coloured horses represent, read Revelation six and you'll see what they seem to picture. But needless to say, as Zechariah looks at this mountain, these two mountains, and sees the four horses coming out of it, what he sees is God's chariots as envoys across the world. He notices two places in particular that the chariots go to. The NIV says that the, the black horses go to the north and the white horses go to the west. The original text actually says that the black and white horses both go to the north. It was the road to the north that led to Babylon. It was from the road to the north that Babylon initially came and took Jerusalem into exile. And as Zechariah looks, he sees God's envoys going out along the road to the north towards Babylon to execute God's judgment against the enemies of God's people. Furthermore, we notice that the dappled horses 
turn the opposite direction and head towards the south. Now you could just read in 2 Kings 23 and see that to the south of Jerusalem was Egypt. Obviously known for having God's people in slavery at the time of the Exodus. But if you read in 2 Kings 23, the Egyptian pharaoh Necho killed good king Josiah. Here are two of God's enemies, the enemies of God's people. Huge armies full of threats towards God's people. And Zechariah sees a vision where God sends his envoys to execute justice against the enemies of God's people. The vision is saying to Zechariah, keep going because God is king and he will defeat his enemies. Now, if anyone from Babylon or Egypt had been listening to Zechariah in that moment, they would have laughed. Jerusalem was small and pathetic. The building of the temple had been paused for 14 years because they couldn't face a little bit of opposition. How on earth can God defeat his enemies like this? Well, interestingly, the temple was completed in 516 BC. And in 514 BC, Babylon rebelled against the, its Persian overlords and was crushed. And the walls of Babylon were brought down. Today, you can go and visit the capitals of Egypt from those days. You can go to Memphis and Thebes, both on the Nile. But you won't be going to see huge metropolises that are thriving. You'll be going to see ancient ruins. You see, God's enemies in those days would have laughed. Babylon would have heard this prophecy and thought, how on earth can little old Jerusalem and their little God do anything about it? But history shows us that God had the last laugh. Zechariah sees this vision and though Jerusalem felt small, it assured him that God is the king of the whole earth and he will defeat his enemies. Well, what can we say about this vision as Christians living in the 21st century? Just three brief things. Firstly, this God is in control of this world. His enemies will be defeated. We don't just need to look at Babylon and Egypt. Let's look throughout history. Nations come and nations go, but they mostly go. The Church of Jesus Christ has endured for these past 2000 years. If we were living in the 60s, we would have been bombarded in the news by the threat of communism, the communism of the Soviet Union. Where is that threat today? Perhaps more recently, do you remember on the news when ISIS was expanding its caliphate and there was fear about the, the threat that would th spread across the globe? Now ISIS continues, but we hear so much less about it nowadays nations come and go but they mostly go because god is in control of all things his enemies have been defeated colossians 2 verse 15 tells us that jesus disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them 
on the cross. Perhaps unlike any year in our recent memory, 2020 reminded us of the power of death as COVID-19 spread across the globe. And as day after day after day, we watched press conference after press conference after press conference, telling us of the number of people who succumbed to the virus. But even in that, God is in control. When Jesus went to his death on the cross and three days later came out of the tomb, the last enemy death was defeated. 1 Corinthians 15, 26, which is quoted in Harry Potter, says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy that is fearful to many of us, and yet it will be fully and finally destroyed. God is in control even if it doesn't feel like it. But what else can this vision tell us? As God sends out his envoys around the world to defeat the enemies of his people, well, surely it shows us this. God cares for his people. I wonder if you noticed in verse 8 that the, the, the black horses went to the north and they brought God's justice in the north country. And then God says... Now my spirit is at rest. It's as if God's spirit was restless whilst God's enemies, the enemies of God's people, remained powerful. It's as if God's spirit sensed the fear and anxiety of God's people in Jerusalem. And it wasn't until that threat was settled that God himself could be at rest. You see, the God who is in control of all things is intimately involved in our lives and cares profoundly for us. In Isaiah 63 verse 9, God tells us that in all their distress, he too was distressed and the angel of his presence saved them. I owe this uh, insight to Dale Ralph Davis. He says, when you look at God's promise to David, about the building of the first temple in 2 Samuel 6. He says this right at the start. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. It's as if God is saying, whilst my people were a pilgrim people, I was identifying with them as a pilgrim God. Whilst they were setting up tents in the wilderness, moving from place to place, I too was setting up my tent and moving from place to place with them. God identifies with us as his people in our suffering and our struggles. He is not removed and distinct from us. He cares for us. He loves us. It, it might not feel like it in lockdown 3.0, but God cares for us. He is watching over us. He is in the midst of whatever situation we are facing right now. I'm sure we can see that in the way that parents care for their children. Every time James Gullett gets in his car, I'm sure he doesn't realise how anxious. He, I'm sure he realises a little bit, but I'm sure he doesn't realise quite how anxious his mother is. I'm sure he doesn't realise quite how many prayers are poured into his safety as he drives in the car. You see, 
our parents love us and care for us so much and yet sometimes we just don't realize it we don't realize the energy that's poured into it Millie certainly didn't realize how much prayer went into her first few days at nursery as we dropped her off all isolated and alone wandering away from us and as Emma and I wept as we watched her go that, that doesn't happen as much anymore but you see we don't realize how much our parents care for us and yet that, that reality is true, how they stay awake whilst we go out at night and don't go to sleep until we're back in and safe in our beds. We don't realise it, and yet that is the reality. God is watching over you. He cares for you. His spirit will not be at rest until you too are at rest. But here's the third thing we can take from this vision. Zachariah sees this vision and he knows that the victory is certain. And yet he looks at Jerusalem and the temple remains unbuilt. There is still opposition to be faced. You see, the victory is certain, but it still feels like we're in a battle. On the 14th of June, 1940, Paris was occupied by German troops and the evil of the Nazi regime spread across Europe. For a number of years, it seemed like Europe was in the grip of evil. But then, along with a number of other um, campaigns, on the 6th of June, 1944, Allied troops landed on the beaches in Normandy. Over the next few months, the battle for Normandy was fought. And by August, the Germans were in full-scale retreat. In many ways, the war was won. Read the newspapers in 1944 and there would have been that sense of optimism the war was won and yet the battle was still being fought in september the germans launched a devastating counter-offensive and fighting went on for at least another eight or nine months the victory has been won but it doesn't necessarily feel like that for us it didn't feel like that for the people of God's day, of the people of God in this day, there were still threats to the rebuilding of the temple. What about for us? There is still opposition to Jesus's church. Christians around the world are still being persecuted. Increasingly in this country, the Christian view of the world is scorned and marginalized. And for us as a church, the war has been won. Victory is certain, and yet we're still trying to work out what on earth community life looks like in the midst of a global pandemic. Zachariah was given this vision so that he might see with the eyes of faith that the victory is won. You see, the Bible helps us see the end from the beginning. We cannot see the end of COVID-19. We pray for the success of the vaccine and we hope for it. And yet we cannot see the end from the beginning. But the Bible gives us the eyes of faith to see that his victory is certain. Zerubbabel and the people use those eyes of faith to continue building the temple despite the opposition they were facing. They were faithful in the small things, brick by brick by brick. And maybe we think that God is uninvolved in what's going on in the world at the moment. And maybe we look at the devastating impact of COVID-19 and think, well, where is God? Let me say this. The victory is certain, 
And God is sending his envoys out into the world. But who is he sending out? He's sending the poor in spirit. He's sending the meek. He's sending those who mourn. He's sending the merciful. He's sending the peacemakers. He's sending those who are hungry for justice. He's sending you and I into this world as his envoys because the victory is certain. And as he sends us, we should see where the real need is. And we should go and meet those needs because we know we serve the king. God is king. And as king, he defeats his enemies such that victory is certain. But then once the visions have finished, we have this little addition where Zechariah is commanded to go and perform a symbolic action, a symbolic action which summarizes really everything that he's seen in the previous eight visions. He's told to the, go to the house of Josiah, who is probably one of the priests. And in that house, he would meet three of the exiles who had returned from Babylon full of silver and gold. With that silver and gold, Zechariah had to fashion a crown of many diadems. And then in a shock, in a shocking twist, he was to place that crown on the head, not of Zerubbabel, the descendant of David, but on the head of Joshua, the high priest. It seems normal to our ears, but if you know your Old Testament, you know how shocking that is. No king ought to aspire to be a priest. Read about Saul in 1 Samuel 13. The office of king and priest was separate, and really they didn't often get on. But here, Zechariah is placing the crown on the head of the high priest because Joshua is a symbol of a future king who would also be a priest. Joshua is a symbol of the branch, the Messiah, the king, who would unite the offices of priest and king. And in verse 12, what is this king going to do? He will branch out from this place and build his temple. In verse 14, the crown is taken off uh, Joshua's head and placed in the temple as a reminder. The people were waiting for the Messiah. Well, what does this symbolic action have to say to us? Just three things. Firstly, this. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the king who is building the temple and he builds it in his own body. In John 2, verses 19 to 21, Jesus is having a conversation and he says this, destroy this temple and I will rise, raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. You see, when Jesus came to earth, he came as God's king. But he came as a different kind of king. He came to share in our humanity, as the author to the Hebrews says. And he came to do that so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus is this king who unites the offices of priest and king. And he does it for us so that he might win the victory on our behalf. Jesus is the temple. Now imagine in those days, as Zerubbabel finally finishes the temple, the joy that the people must have felt. 
Finally, the building where they could go and meet with God, the building where the priest could enter and offer sacrifices and find forgiveness of sins, the building where they could go and hear from God was finished. I wonder whether we have the same anticipation and excitement about coming to Jesus. In Jesus, we can meet with the God who made all things. In Jesus, we can find full acceptance. In Jesus, we can find peace. In Jesus, we can hear from God as he shows to us the living word of God. As a church, are we united in our desire to see Jesus, to know him more deeply, to feel his presence with us? Jesus is the temple, the temple that was long awaited by God's people. Jesus is the temple in whom we can meet with God and know acceptance. Secondly, the symbolic action of crowning the high priest and uniting the offices of priest and king show us that Jesus is everything we need. In Old Testament times, the people needed prophets to bring God's word to them. They needed priests to offer sacrifices on their behalf. They needed kings to rule them and lead them and protect them. And for us as Christians, we only need Jesus. He is sufficient in every area. You know, when you watch The Return of the King, the final um, episode of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, it flashes from one scene to the next, to the next, to the next. Because for the powers of darkness to be destroyed, you don't just need Frodo and Sam sneaking through Mordor to destroy the ring. You need Aragorn going to find the people of the dead. You need Gandalf defending the city of Gondor. You need Theoden and his riders coming to defeat the, uh, the enemies of um, Gondor on the plains in front of the city. You need all of these people doing all of those different things. And for us as Christians, Jesus is doing everything. He is all sufficient. In whatever thing you're facing today, Jesus is sufficient. He unites perfectly the offices of king and priest. Verse 13 tells us there will be harmony between the two. A harmony that hardly ever existed. But you see, Jesus is all sufficient for you this morning. In your isolation. Notice how Jesus helped those who are outcasts in society. And believe that he draws alongside you in your isolation. In your fear and anxiety. Notice how Jesus slept in the stern of the boat and then stood up and calmed the storm allaying the fears and anxieties of his disciples. In your exhaustion and frustration, listen to Jesus as he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And as you worry about death, maybe the death of a loved one, maybe your own death, stand next to Jesus at the, at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, and see him weep. See him weep at the devastating impact of death. And then stand with the women as they go searching to anoint Jesus's body. And see the empty tomb where Jesus showed that for those who trust in him, 
even death, is simply falling asleep. Even death is being called to our true home. You see, Jesus is sufficient in every way. Whatever you're facing, be it illness or frustration or difficulty at work or tension in your family, whatever it may be, Jesus is sufficient to meet you in your needs. And finally this, as Zechariah crowns Joshua and sees that the branch, the Messiah, Jesus the King is going to build the temple, we discover in the New Testament that not only is Jesus the temple, but we too are the temple that God is building. We read Ephesians over the summer. And these words from Ephesians 2 are so relevant. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God is king and he's defeating his enemies. Jesus is king and he's building his temple and we are part of that project. We are part of that project that can never fail. Through these months of lockdown, as we gather together on Zoom, Jesus is building his temple stone by stone, brick by brick. Jesus is taking you every time you log on and he is building his temple. Did you notice in verse 12, the Messiah, the branch will branch out and you are part of that work. When Jesus was on earth, he said that after his death and resurrection, he would be about one project, the project of building his church. And he said to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We may feel weak and insignificant, but Jesus is building his church. He is branching out through you as you are faithful in the small things, as you see with the eyes of faith the victory that he has won. And as you do, verse 15, did you notice what verse 15 says? This will come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. We are part of God's building project and what should we do? Diligently obey the voice of God. You see, this vision of God's victory isn't intended to lull us into a sense of complacency, but it's to motivate us to full and complete covenant obedience. So that we wake up tomorrow and our prayer is, Lord, Help me honour you. Help me diligently obey your voice. I wonder whether we, as Christians in the 21st century, have fallen into the trap of thinking that the commands of God in the Bible, the commands of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, are really negotiations. Things that we can pick and choose. But Jesus is saying to us this morning, we are part of his building project. And as part of his building project, we ought to lay down our crowns at his feet and diligently obey his voice, brick by brick, stone by stone, as the temple is built. But we do that because God is the king.
and he has won the victory in Jesus. And Jesus, the king, is building his temple. He's using you in your weakness. He's using you in the midst of a pandemic to be a peacemaker, to be one who is merciful, to be one who is pure in heart, to be one who lives out the beautiful attitudes of the Beatitudes as you diligently obey his voice. But we do that in the sufficiency of Jesus, by the power of his spirit, conscious of his care, and his love and we do it not through I but through Christ in me. I hope the book of Zechariah has been an encouragement to you, an encouragement to endure, to keep going, to look to Jesus and to see that he is with you in the storm. He's with you in the storm of this pandemic and he is building his temple in you and through you, through the small things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful truth that you are the king who defeats your enemies. And in Jesus, you are the king who is building your temple. Please help us to diligently obey your voice. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.